selling is extremely underrated in India and buying is extremely overrated in India. Our thought process was to cover stocks which no one used to cover, right? And to come out with multi-bagger ideas which no one used to even think or even look at them. In India, mid-caps are always under-researched. Um, large caps are extremely over-researched. Broadly, my sense is that, you know, mid-caps is the sweetest part of the market. That's where the growth is highest. The risk is lowest. As Ramdeji always keeps saying us, right? Uh, you should have vision to see, uh, courage to buy, and patience to hold. Whole uh, value and growth uh, debate, right? Which always kind of keeps playing out, right? And uh, I'm a firm believer that there is no such concept. So all our funds today, on an average, would have 35 to 40% of a promoter's money in our fund, right? We have okay. our own skin in the game. Our entire salary, our entire saving goes into our, our scheme, right? So we take a lot of responsibility because our own money is at stake, investors' money is at stake. You look at the kind of money that everyone is made, is made on concentration. It's not made because there are 400 names, 500 names, 300 names in the portfolio. Something is going up at some point of time. It doesn't work that way. So keep quality in mind and then invest wherever you want to, whether you want to do direct investment or direct through mutual fund, completely your choice. But I would say keep quality in mind, keep valuation in mind. And don't get carried away by momentum. We love to buy when the whole world is selling. We don't like to buy when the whole world is extremely excited about it. Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Talks with Dalat, where we aim to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance and empower investors to take better and relevant investment decisions. My name is Varun Fatehpuria, and I am the founder and CEO of Dalat Wealth Management. Today, we are pleased to have Niket Shah on our show today. Niket is the fund manager of the Motilal Oswal Midcap and Flexicap Fund. He has over 15 years of experience in equity research and portfolio management. Niket has been associated with the Motilal Oswal Group for over a decade now, having previously worked with its securities division as the head of Midcap's research before finally joining the AMC in 2018. Prior to joining Motilal Oswal, Niket worked with Edelweiss Securities as a research analyst. Niket began his career with the Relegate Capital Markets as an associate research analyst in the Midcaps team. He also holds a degree in postgraduate diploma in finance from Wellinger Institute of Management. Niket, it is an absolute pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you so much, Varun, for inviting me. We have a lot of questions for you today, some from me, some from our investors and clients, so we cannot really wait to get started. So why don't we quickly just jump in? As we could observe from your career, you have been pretty much a mid-cap lifer, if, if that was even a word, right? So perhaps for the benefit of our audience, if you could throw some color, number one, what made you start your career in finance? And number two, what is it that is so exciting about the mid-cap space that you have not been able to leave it over the last 15 years? Yeah. So uh, thanks, Varun, for having me. Um, I think uh, two, three things, right? One is on why I really like about the the whole uh, finance theme as such and what really got me hooked on the equity market. So just to give you a brief background, I started my career in 2008. Uh, I'm a Wellinker MBA passed out. Uh, uh, and 2008 was not the best year to get out of the college. And uh, so I was the only one who decided not to go for the campus placement. And I started doing cold calling because I was very clear I wanted to do equity research. Uh, and that too in mid-caps. Um, and why it was mid-cap? Because I generally thought that um, as a person, I don't like to cover one particular thing for a longer duration of time, right? And there are so many exciting themes which happens on a uh, on a yearly basis, right? And uh, it is more much more exciting job if there is much, multiple challenges around you, right? Rather than just covering, say, for example, steel sector or, say, metals or power sector or any other sector for a longer duration of time, 
becomes a little bit of a boredom kind of a thing, right, over a period of time. So I thought I'll cover mid-caps, and I think in India, mid-caps are always under-researched. Um, large caps are extremely over-researched. Um, so I thought there was a significant amount of opportunity for me to add value wherever I would essentially end up going. Uh, so that's broadly the thought process which really brought me to finance. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's one more reason where uh, I was very clear that, uh, you know, mid-caps is where I would essentially like to focus this proportional amount of my time. Uh, and that's that's how it kind of went through. I started with Religare, went to Edelweiss, uh, and from Edelweiss, uh, I came to Motilal Oswal on the sell side. Uh, even when we had, you know, when we were at Motilal Oswal, our, our thought process was to cover stocks which no one used to cover, right? And to come out with multi-bagger ideas, which no one used to even think or even look at them at that point of time. So that is what it really gives us a significant kick, right? And that's similar kind of a thing we are following in our mutual fund uh, scheme side. If you look at most of the stocks that we bought in our portfolios uh, in the last two, two and a half years, virtually no one used to cover it, right? Even still, there's very less coverage on it, right? And they have become 7, 8x, 9x, 10x kind of things. So the idea is to cover stocks which no one was looking at without compromising on our QGLP philosophy, be ahead of the curve, take positions, uh, you know, which might not appear to be great today, but over a period of next one or two years, it will really pay off, right? So as Ramdev always keeps saying us, right, uh, you should have vision to see, uh, courage to buy and patience to hold, right? I think we have these three things which we continue to follow very rigorously and and I think that the outcome in terms of uh, the performance that the fund has delivered it's just an outcome of whatever we, you know, essentially do. Yeah. So, so one of the good points, Nikit, that you mentioned is obviously I think large cap as a space is fairly well researched. <laughs> we spoke for alpha generation. I think as the markets are also maturing, uh, tends to diminish, right? Uh, that we have probably seen in the West. Uh, maybe India will follow the lead in the next couple of years. Uh, and then naturally, investors typically tend to chase returns in the mid cap and the smaller cap space with the understanding that smaller cap has the highest potential to give returns, right? But if you look at the last 10 to 15 years data, it is actually the mid-cap space which has uh, given consistent returns. Yeah. If you could sh right. shine some light as to why that is the case, obviously, small cap comes with its own set of challenges, much higher drawdowns, volatility, but it is not able to pay off from a risk-reward point of view compared to mid-cap. So I think uh, two things, right? One is I think mid-cap is the sweetest part of the market, right? Today, if you look at the mid-cap part of the market, the average size of the market cap companies, right? Say, you know, as per the MFI, MFI directive, it's 101 to 215 names, which is classified as mid-cap. The lowest market caps starts at about 18, 19,000 crores and the highest ones at 50,000 crores. Now, that's the sweetest part of of the entire universe that we have in India today on, on the listed side, right? Why it is the sweetest part? Because one is, I think, when you're a 25,000 crore market cap company, two things happen. One is that you have seen multiple cycles and your size is relevantly larger for you to absorb any shock, right, in the economy as and when it happens, right? So the drawdowns are much more lower, right, as compared to small caps. And on the higher side, I think when, when the economy does very well the way it is happening right now, uh, most of them either will be number one or number two player in their respective categories. And hence, I think, you know, the size of opportunity remains very, very large for all of them, right? So the base is not as large as the large cap, but it's relatively enough enough for it to you to give a give you a 70-80% kind of a return, even from those levels, right? So a 25,000 crore market company cannot become a 50,000 crore market company. The potential answer is yes. But can a 2 lakh crore market company become 4 lakh? The answer is yes, but it will take a lot of much more time than a 25,000 crore guy, uh, kind of a market company, right? But at the same time, it's very important to you know look at the downside risk and the drawdowns that it can offer, right? 
which as compared to small cap, it is much more lower because assuming it's a 25,000 crore market cap company, it's an average P of about 30, 30, 30, 30, 30 or kind of a PE. You know, broad broadly, it should be, you know, northwards of 700 crore kind of a profit number, right? And if you're a 700 crore profit company, uh, I think, you know, you'll have a, hopefully will have a reasonable balance sheet. You would have seen multiple cycles to come to a 700 crore profit number over a period of time. So broadly, my sense is that, you know, mid caps is the sweetest part of the market. That's where the growth is highest. The risk is lowest as compared to, you know, uh, a small cap. And that's why, you know, in the last 10 years, mid cap has been the best performing index as compared to large cap and small caps. Okay. And talking specifically about the fund that you run, the Motilal Oswal mid cap fund, right? I think it is fair to say that in the last couple of odd years, it has come on pretty much a lot of the investors' cream, right? And that, that is also reflective in the AUM that has significantly increased from about two, two and a half thousand crores in the last year to about over 5,000 crores today, right? Uh, right. Do you think... Number one, I think it's a two-part question. Is that a, a really just a reflection of performance? Retail investors typically, you know, uh, tend to follow that lead. And number two, do you think you'll be able to sustain this performance going forward as the fund tends to grow in size? What we like to call him call is it, it, sort of like the the size, the enemy of returns. Well, I think uh, uh, to answer your question in two parts, I think one is that uh, the reason why the performance has been phenomenal is superior stock selection and superior sector selection right so one is that you have two two elements to it one is your stock selection and then there is allocation right wherever we had the highest conviction we invested the highest allocation right and that really paid off in the, in the last two three year period since i've taken over in july 2020 uh, we continue to think that selling is extremely underrated in india and buying is extremely overrated in india and hence, for me, what is extremely important is when to sell, right? Second, what is important is when we buy a stock, for us, the downside risk-reward ratio has to be much more favorable. You can't buy a stock where you say, this can become 2x, but it can go down by 75%. doesn't work that way, right? We want a stock where the downside risk is, say, 5 or 10% or at best 15%, but the upside has to be magnificently higher, right? So if that really kicks in, right, then it really becomes a slightly more easy decision to really increase your allocation on the stock. Just to give you an example, like some of our stocks like Tube Investments, Zomato that we got at 55 bucks. I think our clear mindset was that the downside risk is extremely lower and the size of opportunity and the upside risk that it had to offer is materially higher. So that really gives us a significant amount of confidence to increase allocation. If we buy a stock where we believe the stock can become, say, 50% higher with a downside potential of 50%, our allocation will always be smaller, right? So that's how broadly we think about allocations, stock ideas, and I think that that combination has really benefited. Second important thing is that, see, in India, I am a strong believer that across business cycles, you know, there is no businesses where you can say it's structural in nature, this will go at 20% for 20 years, right? It doesn't happen that way. So there are cycles to play and uh, every sector goes through a cycle and we essentially look at those sectors, uh, you know, very, very closely. Like if you look at most of our investing sectors, I've been banking, uh, IT, consumer, auto, cement. We generally avoid metals which are very, very cyclical and less predictable in nature, right? So we don't want volatility on those parts and we are happy to underperform if those sectors do very well in the near term. Uh, so that is the second point. The third important point to highlight is that if you look at the way we buy our stocks, right? We love to buy when the whole world is selling, 
we don't like to buy when the whole world is extremely excited about a sector, right? So for example, if you look at post-COVID, we went overweight on IT. Then in October 21, we went virtually zero on IT because valuation went to 40, 50 times. Like after the Infosys results, a couple of quarters back when every IT stock was getting hammered, we massively increased our weight on IT, right? Because we could clearly see AI wave going to come in the next one and a half years, right? And we wanted to position ourselves ahead of the curve rather than position ourselves, you know, much later in the curve, right? So I think it's all about, you know, when do you buy, how do you buy, what allocation you do, and a combination of that uh, results in such kind of, uh, you know, higher alpha generation that we are able to demonstrate. Now, you know, at the same time, I would also like to um, highlight that, you know, while we always wanted to give a sustainable outperformance to all our investors, in, in fact, if you look at most of our times, we reasonably do well in a market which goes up as well as when the market comes down, right? Our fund has done reasonably well on both counts. And it's a conscious strategy that we keep thinking at all points of time that we have to give sustainable outperformance to all our investors. But having said that, there are times where some of our sectors where we don't like to buy as per a philosophy of having buying only high quality businesses. We are happy to underperform for one particular year. Like for example, say PSU banks, if they go up, power stocks, if they go up, um, if some of the stocks where the balance sheets are extremely fragile, they become, you know, up 70, 80% in a bull market like this. We are very, very happy uh, that we don't own the stocks and we are very happy to underperform that year, right? Because we've seen time and again that essentially fundamentals do catch up uh, with reality over a lag of, say, six to nine months or closer to a year period, right? And we are very happy that if we have a three, five months underperformance because of not owning some of these non-quality stocks, and if these non-quality stocks move up, um, we're absolutely fine with it. We we strongly believe that quality does come back with a vengeance. And as and when it comes back over the longer term, uh, the alpha generation is virtually secure. So one of the really important things, Nikkei, that I want to pick up, again, a lot of things to talk about. One of the things that you really mentioned is you guys tend to do well uh, in a bull market, but at the same time have the downside controlled. Right. Uh, right. When we were evaluating the fund, obviously, I think that is reflective in both the downside capture ratio and also right. the mag store down and the recovery period that it takes to sort of like, you know, achieve the next right. peak. Right. Today, when we go and speak to investors, we try and make them understand that it is more about losing less in the down market than it's about making right. the most in an up market. What Absolutely. message today, Nikkei, do you have to investors why controlling downside is equally important rather than just chasing returns in a bull market? Yeah, I think one thing that we have to keep in mind is that the kind of times that we are seeing right now, right, in terms of small cap and mid cap rally, right, I think clearly fundamentals are ahead of the curve, right, the stock price are ahead of the fundamentals, there's no two doubt in my mind. Now, it can be in six, you know, specific sectors uh, and not on the whole market, that's possible, but at a larger level, we are definitely seeing stocks flying where we, you know, when we just know on the ground, nothing is changing. In fact, it's getting worse than becoming better, right? But yet, I think, you know, there is a lot of frenzy in the retail H&I community to buy some of those stocks, you know, some of the themes which are now being playing out, right? But historically, we've seen, right, if you get stuck in some of them, right, you only have to book loss, right? If you look at some of the stocks which are rallying today in the power space or in the steel space, you know, one should really look at what are the prices right now. And these prices have come after how many years, right? So, excited but if you have that stock fundamentals are not so great, right? You will end up in a situation 
safety in small caps at this point valuations are and given the way it was simple right and the projections are you can make a projection on an excel sheet but to deliver in reality is a very different thing right so our view has always been uh, that you know uh, you know we will we love small cap and mid cap space by the way we also are extremely greedy we also want to make more and more returns for our investors we also want to give them higher returns than any of our peer sets but at the same time we also have to keep in mind that if there is irrationality in the market we have to take a cautious approach at some point of time and hence we have taken this approach recently that we will so mid cap is still at 65% which is a regulatory requirement for us uh, and you know we were very heavily skewed towards a small cap we have benefited out of this and now we have decided to move to large cap so you will see more and more addition of large cap if this party continues the way it is and i will not be surprised that you know we will get into a situation where 65% will be mid cap which is a regulated requirement 30% will be large cap and 5% or 4% will be cash okay. right that's and we'll prove 0% small cap uh, and having said that i think what we have to also keep in mind that large caps also today are not in a situation that they don't offer you any returns right there are certain large caps every year there is a nifty stock which gives you disproportionate amount of return right so it is not that uh, uh you know nifty or large cap means there is lower returns right we have to find out those names where there will be higher returns this year in large cap and we are on it right we we bought a couple of names like geo it's already given us 25% returns this year so we have to keep investing in the right set of names to ensure that there is higher returns uh at the end of the day i have to make higher returns whether i make from large cap or mid cap really doesn't matter uh, but we also have to keep in mind that the downside risk is much lower in large cap from this levels so i would say large cap is much better position right now as compared to mid caps and small cap and while we are talking about the topic of valuation obviously i think october 2021 when we pretty much hit the peak nifty 50 hit 18000 something it was trading at a 40 time p right today yeah. i think obviously we have breached 20000 level that psychological mark but the p has significantly come down at about 21 22 so obviously while the valuations look stretched across the mid cap and the small cap space are you still finding opportunities number one in the large cap space and and do you think the valuations are much more in sync with the broader domestic earning growth i think so in the uh, in the large cap space there is valuation is still in sync in certain pockets uh, like nbfcs we facing some we are seeing some opportunities around uh, we can see some opportunities around the it side of the market look at infosys right it's not gone anywhere right look at tcs not gone anywhere so we are seeing some of those uh, i would say uh, pockets where there is some benefits uh, in terms of valuation that we can clearly get even from year on um, having said that in mid caps it's very tough right now uh, we just seeing uh, valuations at a level very tough to justify uh and we are reasonably sure that earnings growth is not going to materially change uh you know overnight right so uh, i don't know what the street is smoking but uh, you know for us uh, we are very very focused on uh, you know uh, you know on on valuations and we while we want to buy quality names i think one thing is very clear we are now seeing a lot of opportunity in the large cap side where at least we seeing 20% upside possibility on the mid cap side we are not seeing a lot of names where we can see 20% kind of a upside Uh, and then you want to go, if you want to get twenty percent upside, then you go down the quality curve, right? Where the valuation is so cheap, you say, "Hey, it's so expensive. So, oh, forty times, maybe twenty times. Let's go. So, thirty times will be possible." And those kind of narrative is something that we always avoid, right? Uh, those are trap narratives, and we don't want to get into a trap. Like something is at forty times, and something else is at twenty times, so that you start thinking, "Are you being so thirty?" So, as any other, it is at twenty times for a reason, right? And maybe that forty is wrong, right? So that's how broadly we look at it. Uh, yeah. one of the things also nikit that we observed at a fund level is you typically tend to run it with a 
growth bias, right? I think that's evidence. Yeah. Let's say at a, at a it's a significantly, I think probably the highest P and a highest uh, price to book value uh, of the fund. Uh, but obviously the fund has performed well, but typically in a rising interest rate environment, uh, growth tends to take a backseat compared to value, right? Uh, how do you reconcile this approach of, you know, growth versus value or is it more like growth at the reasonable price? Yeah, so I think I have a slightly different view than consensus here, right? I mean, this whole uh, value and growth uh, debate, right? Which always kind of keeps playing out, right? And uh, I'm a firm believer that there is no such concept, right? I mean, I can prove that, but uh, maybe for another day on a detailed discussion. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, fundamentally, if you look at, I'll give you an example, simple example. If you look at Castrol, it's a phenomenal company. There's no doubt about it, right? But just doesn't grow, right? Because of a lot of reasons, right? Uh, but it doesn't grow and hence the stock price is static, right? But if you look at something like an Aurobindo Pharma in the past, right? Again, wasn't growing, it was static. But then when it started seeing significant growth in earnings, the stock price started seeing meaningful accretion as well. And there can be multiple such examples. These are just two examples that are coming in the top of my mind right now. But there are multiple such examples where the earnings growth drives the stock price higher. I haven't seen a stock where someone can tell me that, oh, this stock is so cheap. Although the profit will remain flat for the next five years and then let the stock price go up by 2x. I haven't seen a lot of cases like that. There can be one or two exceptions, but not a lot of them, right? And in my view, hence, we strongly believe that, you know, we are we are clearly chasing earnings growth here. We look at the pad growth of our portfolio. We want to give you about 25 to 30% earnings growth on the portfolio level. And if we believe, and we strongly believe that, if you're able to give this kind of you know earnings growth on the portfolio, which is 25 to 30%, assuming multiples remaining the same, right? You will see you know, 25 to 30% return in NAV as well, right? Because assuming multiples remaining the same. So if a business goes by 25% every year, you believe stock price will at least give you 25% return, assuming everything remaining the same. That's what we continue to focus on, right? Um, Honestly speaking, as a, I mean, it's still, I had to give an answer between value and growth. Yes, yeah. we are definitely focused on growth uh, rather than value. We don't think that this plant is company ka, iska replacement value. If you want to make this plant, it will double the market. Ka double kar do. We, we are not in that camp. Okay. No. Uh, so one of the things, again, we that, that we have observed is you are a pretty high conviction, right? I mean, maybe at, that's at a personal level, but perhaps maybe from a more of a from fund house perspective also. And that is very, very evident in the concentrated portfolio number one that you run and the very, very high portfolio turnover ratio, right? Where you need right. to get in and get out at the right time, getting right. the sectoral calls right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, wh why, why, the, why, why the rationale for such a strategy? Why, why do you think having a concentrated portfolio is significantly better than having a diversified portfolio spray around multiple companies? Yeah, so I think see, two three things, right? I think one is that you know, we believe that, for example, you have 150 companies in the portfolio, right? A lot of our peer sets have more than 100 companies in their portfolio. And there are 300 days to work, effectively. Assuming you take a Saturday, Sunday off and some few holidays here and there, there are 320 days or 300 days to work, like rounded off. How many days you get to research on a particular name? And this is public money. This is not like, you know, my money, whatever I want to do, I will do it, right? This is public money. We take immense amount of responsibility as a house. And our founders have 40% so all our funds today, on an average, would have 35 to 40% of a promoter's money in our fund, right? We have okay. our own skin in the game. Our entire salary, our entire saving goes into our, our scheme, right? So we take a lot of responsibility because our own money is at stake, investors' money is at stake. 
So we take a lot of responsibility to do detailed research and then buy a stock. Right? We can go wrong, but we are at least very clear that we do a lot of detailed work before you know taking a bet. And we are happy to go wrong, right? If some some of our assumptions, uh, if we think this company is going to go at twenty five percent, if it goes at ten percent, we go wrong, right? And we take corrective actions on that, right? But at least from a detailed research standpoint, from a process standpoint, that is always followed, right? Uh, when you want to buy hundred stocks. Um, you know, effectively, you have three days to work on a particular company. We somehow take, you know, one day to at least get an annual report, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how can you do a work uh, in three days on a particular company. So I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I really can't think about me doing a work on a company for three days and buying a stock next day worth hundred or two hundred rupees, right? Doesn't work that way, at least in Motilakaloswar. So that's what we broadly believe that wherever you have detailed work done and your conviction is higher, then you can go and put decent amount of allocation, right? And look at all the global guys, right? All the large global guys like, you know, Buffett's of the world and all of them, right? You look at the kind of money that everyone has made, it's made on concentration. It's not made because there are 400 names, 500 names, 300 names in the portfolio. Something is going up at some point of time. It doesn't work that way, right? So you have to be selective. You have to miss something. And hence, you know, we, we like to play at least on the economic recovery part. We want to ensure that we have all the sectors, uh, you know, which we have covered. We, you know, we look at, you know, for example, infra. We don't want to play the road stocks, right? Companies who make roads and all of that. Hence, we buy cement, right? Um, then we have consumer, then your banking, which is obviously a reflection of the country's health and country's growth. Um, and then obviously, on the other side, we do have IT, right? Uh, which is a slightly global play. Uh, so we do have that mix. Uh, then we have pharma. So broadly, we're well covered. Only areas where we are not covered is metals or, you know, power for that metal, which is slightly more cyclical in nature. And we are absolutely okay to leave it. You know, uh, there might be smaller allocation in the index itself and we are very happy to leave it. But we will not chase momentum. Okay. So enough enough talk about the fund. I'm sure today our audience would have gotten uh, a very good insight directly hearing from a mid-cap fund manager what's really going on, right? I think sometimes we get so lost in the returns and the frenzy of social media that sometimes it is really difficult to look beyond those clouds. So just zooming out, Nuket, and a final piece of question. Uh, obviously, I think the India growth story with all the changes that's happening around us, the narrative around India seems to be extremely positive, right? Uh, partially, it has to do with obviously the on-ground changes, but that is also reflective in an allocation shift that we are seeing and in the emerging markets out of China, right? Uh, where do you see our country, both from, let's say, a macro perspective and also a broader financial market perspective in the next three to five years and do major events like, you know, elections, would that simply be a bump in the road? Sure. So I think, yes, I think two things, right? I think one is let's look at the domestic factors, right? Um, the way I look at this entire, you know, uh, last nine years of the existing government led by Honorable Prime Minister um, uh, Modi ji, uh, I think broadly all the agendas on the social side um, are completely done and the foundation to accelerate growth in the economy is made, right? So whether you have demonetization, GST, then you have Ram Mandir, all of them, right? All those issues are behind, right? I can't think of any more issues left, right, for this government. And hence, I think that whatever issues are still left, one country, one election, all of them will be done and dusted in this year itself, right? So let's take May of next year as an election year and assuming 10 years getting over and all of that is done, right? The foreseeable next five years, I think the government has only one agenda, which is economy, economy, and economy. 
right? And I think we are going to see the growth of a lifetime. We are going to see a very stable government in the center. We are going to see massive reforms. And we are going to see unprecedented acceleration of these reforms, right? And we are seeing that, right? I mean, you know, if you ask me personally, if I would have been so confident two years back, the answer is no. But right now, when we meet people on the ground, corporates, non-corporates, everyone on the ground, we see so much acceleration and urgency on the government side to do it. Right? At least in my career of 15 years, I haven't seen. Right? Where government guys saying, right? Government guys. So, you know, the point is that when the government starts working like a private guy, right? Then you can have magic out here. Right. And look at the global setup now. Look at US, look at China, look at Europe. They are, they are obviously not firing all cylinders. And there is no expectation of them firing cylinders. In fact, they're slowing down. Right? So if someone who has a, say, a trillion dollar globally to invest, you look at China, okay, very tough to invest, slowing down economy. Look at US, look at Europe. And then if you look at the other emerging markets, Indonesia, Thailand, and all of them, very, very small, then we only have left with India. Right. And hence, I think in the next five years, I am very strong believer that we are going to make money of a lifetime in the next five years in the mid cap space. Yes. After five years, I definitely believe there will be a bubble as well because, you know, there will be massive money, which is chasing right now. Right. At some point of time, there will be roadblocks in between, which might not be domestic roadblocks. It might be global roadblocks. Anything going wrong in US can have impact on us. Right. But I think from a domestic standpoint, I haven't seen India being better positioned since 2008, at least since my career started. I haven't seen India being in a better position right now from the government intention standpoint and the kind of euphoria that I see on the ground, the kind of velocity I see on the ground, I haven't seen. Like, like I mean, if you look at capital goods, the sector where we went overweight last year, the reason why we went overweight was that environmental clearances were a decade year high. Right. And capacity utilization of a lot of companies were getting to 80, 85%, right? When they start thinking about putting up new capacities. Right. So we clearly see, you know, massive amount of you know stimulus right now done by the government. And we clearly see the focus of the government for the last 10 years has not been has been economy, but not so much. We believe in the next five years, this government will only think about one thing, which is economy, economy, and economy. Great. Thank you so much, Niket, for uh, leaving us on such a positive note. Any final piece of advice that you today would have to investors uh, getting caught up in the mid-cap and the small-cap frenzy? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I only would only recommend you to that have a much more balanced approach um, uh, to investing. Um, you know, if you are making money at a massively faster pace, right? You buy a stock at 100, it becomes 500 overnight. Right. Uh, just take a you know little bit of a break and think about it. That does the fundamental really justify, right? And look at the valuations, look at the earning potential, and more importantly, look at the quality of management. Right. Uh, you know you can get swayed away by buying a stock which is not fundamentally great in a momentum kind of an environment. But once the market really course corrects at some point of time, some of these stocks won't come back to these prices. So keep quality in mind. And then invest wherever you want to, whether you want to do direct investment or direct through mutual fund, completely your choice. But I would say keep quality in mind, keep valuation in mind, and don't get carried away by momentum or, you know, few announcements made here and there and, you know, sectors go flying up. It doesn't work that in reality, right? Think about the business uh, and quality of management much more.
Great. Thank you so much, Niket. And hope our audience today had an enriching and enlightening, insightful uh, discussion out of this. And today, if you liked our video and if you're listening to this podcast, please feel free to subscribe to us and give us a thumbs up. And we'll see you into the next one. Thank you. Thank you.